Hello, I'm Simon Bowes. Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast with a difference. This week is our feature week looking at the energy markets, and that's what this podcast will be all about. We're soon joined by two experts to navigate through, but let's look at where we are. No one can deny this is the most tumultuous time energy markets have probably ever faced since their creation in this country in the late 80s. Prices have gone through the roof. We have an energy crisis in terms of security of supply. This all started way back last year. If you remember, the price of gas started to rise after the sort of unpredicted recovery from COVID. So globally, suddenly there was a massive demand. And so energy prices rose. Loads of supply companies went bust. The government had to step in. We had to step in and bail out loads of energy companies. And then obviously in February, Russia decided to invade Ukraine and start its illegal war. And that has created enormous pressures. So now we are where we are, where all of us as businesses in particular face very unpredictable times. We are facing a cost increase that no one could have bargained for. We're facing a lack of choice in the market. And if we've been lucky enough to have been on a kind of fixed contract that was set low, well, when that unfixes, let's get ready, ladies and gents. It ain't going to be that low again. So you'll be facing huge, steep rises in costs. So what can we do? In this podcast, we're going to look at kind of two sides of the tale. One is, can you sort of procure better deals? Are there any deals out there, dare I say, in this market that could help you through it? And the other side is, should we be doing more to negate this by behavioural change? Should we be looking at what we should be doing instead of trying to, can I get a good deal? Or should we be looking at, can I use a lot less? Can I change the working methods of my organisation? Can I use new technologies to kind of be more self-generative, whatever it is to get about it. So delighted to say we've got two speakers to help us navigate this. But Daniel Connell from Laser Energy. Hello, Daniel. Hiya. And Simon Olsbury from Energize. Hiya. Good to be Hiya. here. Um, guys, do you want to tell uh, everyone a little bit about yourself? So, so Daniel, explain what Laser Energy is for our audience and who you really work sort of to, your customer base. Sure, absolutely. So uh, Laser was uh, started in 1989 by Kent County Council, uh, and it's got a strong focus on uh, public sector energy procurement. Uh, that is flexible energy procurement, uh, as well as fixed procurement. Uh, and we also have an expanding zero carbon arm of our business as well, obviously, because that's a key priority uh, with the energy trilemma that we're facing at the moment. So we have about 220 public sector customers, ranging from hospitals to councils to schools. And you're, it started off, I think, as London and South East, isn't it? That's what the latest, but you're, is it across the country? Or... No, 100% correct. That That's what the acronym stands for, but we've definitely expanded beyond that. Uh, and yeah, we've, we've got a far reach across the country in terms of our customer exposure. And Simon, uh, for those who don't know Energize, a little bit about them, please. Yeah, so um, we are a, a sustainability consultancy with a particular focus on Net Zero, a team of just under 40, around 180 clients, supporting most sectors. 
predominantly private sector in that 180, but there is some public sector in there as well. The kind of work we'd be working on is everything from uh, kind of energy conservation and uh, renewable energy through to various corporate sustainability disclosure pieces, organizations developing their net zero and sustainability strategies and kind of all of that area. That's kind of our, our bag and what we focus on. Yeah, makes sense. Let, let's start, guys. I mean, look, <laughs> I mean, I've been in the sector for 12 years and I, I know that there was a massive price shock back in 08. And I don't know how long you've been in it, but certainly for me, this is the biggest fluctuation, uh, disruption to the markets I've ever seen. Just give us your personal take on what's going on, both of you. Um, Simon, first of all, from your point of view. I think it's 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 definitely the biggest shock to the system. Um, our, our view on it is predominantly the number of clients that need support that they didn't expect to need when they first asked to kind of started working with us. So we're, we're suddenly finding quite a lot of hang on a minute, our energy bill's gone high, can you help kind of thing. Um, and, and a lot of that is kind of a mix of realizing that actually there was previous work done, things like ESOS, that kind of thing, where it's okay, well, actually we need to really knuckle down and make this stuff happen. But also people just trying to look at their organizations and see how they can move it forward. Most of that comes from a energy conservation lens, but we're also seeing uh, that from, uh, from a uh, point of view of like people looking at renewables, particularly around PPAs. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a real, there's a real kind of, uh, it's definitely causing a reaction, um, which I think kind of a lot of those things are things which in hindsight, it would have been brilliant if we could all have acted earlier, but uh, it's, it's a huge shock to the system. And I think some of it's delayed because some people are still on fixed rates that are lower, but it's going to be a huge challenge for people to navigate through. And I mean, we've got clients that have got the energy price increase wiping out their entire profit or kind of regularly a situation where it's half of all the operating profit of the business that goes. These are big board level conversations. It's a really, really important topic at the moment. Do you think that it's, um, dare I say, is this all international or is this a mix of kind of policy as well? You know, things that we've done over the last decade in terms of things like cutting down storage and things like that. A lot of people are now pointing the fingers at government policies, successive government policies. Where, where, where do you sit on that? Um, I mean, I, I partly agree. We we support clients internationally. So there's a lens on that of the fact that the problem isn't as big in other countries because they've taken different approaches. Um, I definitely think we've got questions to answer about the fact that we've pulled support for energy efficiency. We know the IEA net zero pathway scenarios say about a third of the de- delivery of net zero needs to be from efficiency, and yet we're not nowhere near a third of our policy is focused on that. So the, the, the underlying lack of support for energy conservation is just it's a it's a big gap in the UK, and you can look at the domestic side and look at things like the the, the lack of insulation and cavity walls filling and that kind of thing since 2013 as as an as a kind of statistical answer to that. But the reality is across the board we've we've left ourselves in a situation where this problem is bigger than it needed to be. Uh, there are other countries that have responded to the challenges of lack of energy efficiency causes, but also to then at zero approach by being much more focused on, on energy conservation. And it's really helping them right now. I think there's also a, a part of this which is about Kind of demand management energy storage other yeah. bits and pieces that the kind of which is all intrinsically linked to yeah. policy yeah yeah um, daniel what's your take on what's going on i don't know how long you've been in the energy sector but you know the last year has been tumultuous really yeah i think think tumultuous is an excellent word um i think it's been punctuated by extreme instability and volatility which is 
is unusual. Uh, I remember last year there was a period of time where, uh, so I'm I head up the electric trading uh, on the flexible side for laser. Um, we were watching the energy price for the winter last year as it sort of ticked up towards a hundred pounds a megawatt, which was unheard of. Uh, and certainly way above where your expectations would be for a normal period. And and then we were surmising, you know, well, what's it going to do when it hits 100? Will it, will that become a new level? Will it go up to 125? And the, the winter for this period, uh, I believe it closed at a price about five times that level. Yeah. So it gives you a real sense of we are way off the, the, the deep end in, in terms of the scale and you know, when, when we show customers charts in terms of what the market movement has been, there is general disbelief as to as to what's occurred. So for me, yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to circle around on your point about the international versus sort of domestic yeah. view, yeah. Um, f- for me, it's the interconnectedness of those and possibly how those domestic policies have not uh, taken into account you know, our interactions globally. Um, I think that's a key thing. You know, you can see, as you pointed out, with rough storage, for example, uh, in hindsight, probably looks like a not great idea with what's gone on with Russian gas flowing yeah. into Europe. Uh, and, and that's probably what's required is that blended top-level understanding of how we sit in the global energy uh, sphere and then also what we can do to minimise and mitigate that, those impacts in the short, medium and long term. I'm going to throw something out. Before we go into the, the, the particulars of what we want to discuss in this podcast, let me throw something to both of you. I think it was so that the world has changed. Timings are all over the place. But it was definitely before lockdown, right? So I think it was 2019. I went over to Brussels for this kind of energy conference seminar and I met loads of people from different parts of Europe who were all, you know, in the sort of energy sector and they were all going to me, they were all saying, well, you don't know how lucky you are. You've got a very, you've got very low energy prices, you know, compared to, to what we have. So can I ask, do you think that actually part of this We've had a very good, effective market in this country. We've had the security of our own oil and gas for for decades, and we've put in a sort of a market structure since 89-90. So have we just had it too good? And actually what we're getting now is a rebalancing, of a very brutal one, of kind of more where we probably would be uh, or we should be. We have had it. If you look at the kind of market sense for the last kind of 20, 30 years, the underlying challenge, it, it's been pretty good in international terms. Yeah, but the, it has, but, hasn't it? But, yeah. but, but the challenge now is complacency. Like the, 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 where, where we've got to as a country is we've not, you just can't do that as a, as, a, as a country. We've got to be in a situation where we've got a really coherent long-term plan. And I think we've been found wanting because we've kind of, maybe it's just was too easy. Yes, the- I, I agree with you, Simon. I, I mean, let me be honest with you. I, I, you know, 15 years ago, I never really worried about my energy bills. No, I don't think anyone ever did. I think I think that's the the key change, isn't it? Um, and I would say on this that what what you've seen is so Russia. I think in 2021 provided 40 percent of, of the gas to Europe. Staggering, so, isn't it? Staggering. Well, it, it raises the question of diversification of supply, uh, and then what we're rushing towards is a lot of the Northwest European terminals and in the UK, 
LNG terminals, that's our primary secondary route to, to cover the Russian gas, they're at 100% capacity. So now we have to look for floating LNG terminals, which is a very short-term solution. I think for me, yeah, you, you are correct that I think Europe and UK had set up a very preferential sort of system that saw yeah. low yeah. pricing come through. But you see how easily it breaks if there is imbalance in that supply chain. I think that's what we're facing now. You said something very interesting at the beginning of this. You, you mentioned a word which I thought had died, Daniel, trilemma. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years ago, that was the, I could have worn a T-shirt, you know, trilemma yes. is out there. And it's all sort of disappeared. And now it's back. And security of supplies is the biggest thing. So let, let's uh, explore one last thing before we, we go into kind of what you can do now as a business or a public sector organisation. Are we putting in now from both of your points, and I'll start with you, Daniel, are we starting to finally have, you know, hey, we're off the canvas, we've got the smelling salts, and now we realise, flipping egg, we need to sort out our security of supply, first of all, because without that, everything else falls apart. And, you know, as much as an environmentalist as I am, with a small E rather than being a kind of, you know, tree hugger, I kind of think, yes, we need to look up, but without business, that's our ethos, better business, better planet, Without energy, there is no hospital, there is no banking, there is no transport, there is nothing. So do we now have our moment where we go, actually, security supply, and whether some of the decisions are not as green as they should be, mm-hmm. has to take precedence over everything else in the trilemma? Daniel, you uh, first. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's key, uh, and it, it relates to what we just spoke about. I think the focus is much sharper because of the conditions we find ourselves in now. So obviously looking at cost, security and decarbonisation. I think for a long time we were looking, or most organisations were looking purely at cost, uh, and we were talking small margins of savings. And almost to a certain extent, security wasn't even a question. And decarbonisation was a, well, we'll plan for that down the line. We'll start to make very slow steps forward. But the current conditions obviously mandate that the trilemma has come roaring back in terms of uh, people's cognition of, of the core issues. So, so absolutely, you know, cost, security uh, and sustainability are going to be key. Um, and it, it raises an interesting question. You know, it's not just the cost of your contract. It's can you guarantee the security of the supply mm, through yes. a period? And Within that, what are your sort of legal options if you have a contract, if you don't have a contract, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, uh, as I'm sure Simon will, will point out, how, how can you turn a potentially losing situation into a winning situation by looking at your sustainability and decarbonisation? What can you do to minimise your, your usage and then also have a real impact uh, on, on sort of your climate targets? Yeah. Simon, is, is security the, the biggest part we need to look at now, security of supply? I mean, I think to not repeat the same strategic mistake, I think we need to look at all three of them together. I think the, right. the challenge, I, I can remember, I mean, we've been going since 2008 and I've been in the industry since before that. And I can remember conversations around kind of trilemma type conversations and people just, there was extensive periods of time where security just wasn't even on yeah. the radar. It was, it was, was it? No, yeah. it, it was just a... We don't need to worry about that. Well, we do now. I think 
there's always an element when kind of hindsight is a perfect science. And I, th I think th there's a lesson from what's happened here that actually like there, there have been various organizations we've experienced where kind of energy has become quite low as a strategic conversation. It's, it's almost become quite a transactional, it's a procurement thing. We don't correct, need to correct. <laughs> it, it has to make its way onto the board agenda of, right, okay, we need to manage cost, decarbonization, security as one topic. Because I, don't th I think if you don't deal with them all together, you're probably not going to take the right approach to renewables. You probably won't take the right approach to the way you deal with energy efficiency because those can all actually support that. Like if you start to actually think about kind of demand management or, or renewables in, in all of this, they can provide you part of the other answers as well. I honestly, I think the answer now is that we actually just need to make sure that everybody is adopting a strategic approach to it and keep energy as a, a strategic board level conversation in every business. Because I think if we don't do that, we'll end up with the same problems because policies won't get influenced. No, understood. Let's go to where we are today. So, Daniel, let, let's talk about the people that you talk to, right? And that's us, right? We're all public sector. We all contribute through the exchequer to public sector organisations. And we all know how tough it is from, you know, the school my little one goes to, to my local hospital, my GP surgery. You know, the nursery uh, had said, hey, we put him in an extra jumper because we're going to have to balance the heating. And I, and I get it. I can see what's going on. When you're talking to public sector organisations right now, and as you said, some historically have had contracts that might have been on favorable terms first of all what's their situation and then let's talk about the procurement angle of how to try and navigate your way through the costs right now how would you say public sector organizations are coping with the current situation regarding energy pricing sure absolutely uh, our caveat at the start obviously lays for a uh, public buying public sector buying organization understood uh, so we have a very specific route for how we how we purchase energy for our customers, and that will generally be flexibly, uh, and and obviously flexible frameworks do provide that that level of protection against such market spikes. There are obviously a lot of organisations who don't have that. They will go on to fixed contracts, or maybe uh, and dread to think about it, don't even pay attention to to their contract situation and almost just sort of shift by default onto the default variable or deemed rates with their suppliers. So I, I think for me, I wouldn't want to focus too much on the benefits of a flexible procurement because I'll just look, sound like a salesperson. I'm terrible at that. And that, that, that won't work for me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I mean, what I'm trying to get is, you know, when you talk to public sector organisations, what, what are they saying to you? They're, they're saying, we, we, we're, we're really struggling. Are they so to... I think definitely the struggle is real, even in terms of contracts where it's been mitigated by flexible trading. I think for me, what's difficult at the moment, I don't know how much you're aware of the government support scheme that's been rolled out in the last few weeks and the complexities of that around the different contract types and the information that's coming out. So key take-homes for me from customers in the last few weeks has been essentially the difficulties of budget setting and the great deal of uncertainty as to exactly how much this is going to impact them because it's different for, for different customers. So yeah, I, I think until we get to a point where that, that support scheme has gone into legislation, uh, hopefully in early November, I think that's the driving factor uh, within public sector is the assurance of knowing what, what price they're going to pay through this winter. I mean, the energy bill relief scheme, which it's one of those things where it all sounds great, but there's very little detail, isn't there? 
yes. on it. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on the Bayes website here, and uh, frankly, it's kind of, yes, there'll be some stuff. You'll, how will you get the reduction? It'll work here. How will you be reduced? Well, 211 per megawatt hour. I have no clue what that means if I'm running a school. Yeah. Right? I don't know what that means. So how are we going to take any of this and make it understandable and make it relatable for very hard-pressed public sector organisations? Yeah, absolutely. So Laser have produced their own FAQ that we've released to our customers. I think where uh, public sector organisations have that support scheme, either through a buying organisation or a third party, definitely touch base with them to, to get more information. Suppliers are starting to, to produce their own FAQs. But again, you, you're absolutely right. You go onto the base website and there's too many grey areas, um, too, too many areas of difficulty to interpret um, what's going on. And I think within that, essentially, we are just in that period of we need to wait and see because things have not been clarified. If, well, but if, obviously, if I'm running a school or a hospital, I can't wait and see. I've got, you know, sick patients sitting there. I've got to get my energy. What When you talk to organisations now, are there any deals there, dare I say? Is there something you could do to procure your way out of this? I, I think the problem that you have is essentially if you look at the market rate versus the proposed cap from government, yeah. es essentially the current conditions, you would be getting the cap price. Uh, applied to, to your rates. So I think the only thing I would say on that is anyone who's still on a variable or, or deemed rates, your price can go up if the market goes up. So at the moment, it's kind of tracking that cap price. But if, say, the price was to rise to 700, 800 pounds a megawatt hour, which it could do in winter, then you might end up paying higher than, than, than the cap because there's a maximum amount of discount the government is willing to offer in support so it's an interesting point because i think the other core problem we've seen throughout the last six months is liquidity uh, which is yeah, the, the number of buyers and sellers are, are honestly the difficulty in even securing a fixed contract for customers probably from about january or february is huge absolutely huge as we're speaking here, I'm, I'm on the site here at the base site, and it says for fixed contracts, the discount will reflect the difference between the government supported price yeah. and the relevant wholesale price for the day the contract was agreed. Yes, right? that's, that's correct for fixed contracts after the 1st of April. But the 1st of April this year, right. I'm not 100% if it applies to fixed contracts that are signed now. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then for the variable one, it says the discount will reflect the difference with government price and the relevant wholesale price, but subject to a maximum discount yes. of, of 345 pounds. So, yes. Yeah. So if you're sitting there now, I suppose the, the big thing is we want to help on this podcast. Yes. If you're running a public sector organisation, what's the first thing you need to do? You need to find out what you're doing. You need to find out what contract you're on. You need to understand this. And as you say, a lot of people don't know, do they? Yes, 100%. Step one is review all your contractual situations. Look what your terms are on your contract, who your supplier is. Just, just to make absolutely clear, this scheme is delivered via Bayes and the suppliers will just apply it onto your invoice at the point where they where they can you will not be out of pocket if your billing is delayed as a consequence of of this uh, scheme being finalized it will be applied i think on a pence per kilowatt hour basis um so it will likely be one line uh, of a negative amount 
Um, but just to be clear, the suppliers aren't actually directly involved in the application of that. They will get told what the discount will be to customers. So step one for me is essentially sort of remove that stressor of, you know, badgering your suppliers for what's the discount going to be because they probably don't know right now and focus more on what are your contracts are they fixed are they flexible are they variable are they deemed what can you do uh, in terms of if you've got any deemed or variable contracts can you get them into contract with the supplier uh, and that's a challenge in and of itself because i think that would probably change supplier to supplier and day to day depending on what the markets are doing so if you call your supplier on Thursday yes. to get yeah. a contract off and they say no, they might say yes on the Friday. Um, I mean, but that's the other thing, you know, there is a lot of this, which is people are struggling just to get a contract, aren't they? Yes. Because suppliers yeah. don't want to, do, they're just burying their heads in the sand. I mean, bear in mind, this is partially a consequence of, of free markets. There's no sellers. <laughs> yeah. So, if you know, if you walk into a shop uh, and the shop owner isn't willing to sell anything, then you're going to have a very hard time coming out of the shop with what you yeah. want. Um, so that that's the situation that we found ourselves in all, all summer. So there, there is a proposal from Bayes for reform of the electrical market. That uh, reform consultation ends on the 10th of October. Uh, and I think that will see, again, harking back to the trilemma, that will start to address some of the market-related issues we've seen in electric and gas this summer. My final point before I bring Simon back in, let, let's just talk about the idea of these contracts. Again, I've just read this here. So, But it seems that if you, and this will be the case, won't it, be for a lot of people, if you're on a fixed tariff which was set below the government support price, maybe a couple of years ago, people sometimes, you know, I've known business have been on three, four years, five years, fixed things. Blimey, you're facing a big shock soon, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think. So how do you navigate around that? I, I think probably going back to a point that, that Simon touched upon is essentially, my view is, uh, and one thing I've been noticing is a lot of uh, people have been budgeting based off of uh, recent history. Uh, mm. And I'm sure you're aware pricing in the energy markets in 2020 as a direct consequence of the pandemic and demand destruction, you know, historic lows we, we were seeing. Of course. Uh, yeah. And so essentially, if someone signed a two-year contract in 2020 and then they come round this yeah. time and they've based it off of what they got last time, they're going from the absolute bottom, you know, of the trench to the, to the peak of the mountain. So... I think some realism is required in terms of looking and going, not almost scrapping your budget, but, go, but having recognition for where prices were versus the reality of where they are now, because we aren't seeing much indication of drops over the next year, two years, three years. Simon, I, I'm going. I like the I like the uh, metaphor. I'm going in my shop. He won't sell me my tin of beans. Okay, do I make my own beans? What do I do, Simon? I mean, there's a little bit of, of, of probably making your own beans, but there's also an element of eating less. <laughs> there's also a little bit of eating less of them. Um, I, think, I, like I, think, um, I think the reality of all of this is we're in a volatile 
ambiguous situation for, for people. And that means that you know, you've got to look at, okay, well, how do we de-risk some of this? How do we make it less of a challenge? And, and like from most organizations that I've kind of, that I've spoken to on this, that our team have spoken to are, is an element of, okay, well, let's tackle it on every front. So there are whoever's helping them on procurement or, or internally is tackling that challenge, but it is then, okay, well, do we expedite the speed of our renewable energy strategy if, if we have the capital to do it? Because obviously businesses' capital yeah. balance sheets are yeah. strained by this. But if they can, then looking at kind of, well, can we generate some of this ourselves? It's going to be cheaper. Like the, I mean, I put solar panels on my house a few years back. The payback was going to be like 13 years. It's now less than five. Like, I'm like, wow. Like, it's one of those things where the payback, I've seen renewable energy feasibility cases in recently that are kind of that, that are where leds were three five years ago in terms of paybacks and you're like okay well i mean that, that's transformative in terms of people focusing on renewables um because they, they were willing to invest in the leds then so logically they'll if they've got the capital they'll push it forward now there's no one size fits all like the reality is that most organizations have got waste on the table so there is an energy efficiency point that sits behind it it's just basics of making sure that you're not wasting what is now very expensive energy I, I do we need a culture change as well you know in, if there's any good from this suddenly people realize it's that classic thing of you know do you leave your tap running when you brush your teeth i used to be guilty of that for years and then i was like why the hell am i doing that that's weight, wasting water and water is energy and the, you know we had a, a piece about water week last week you know that these these are all things part of it so do you think there could be a good which is businesses sit down and go how you know, especially with this hybrid working right we're a hybrid working office now what, what do we do when do we need people in how does it all work are there ways around this that change behavior that help us to use less i think the culture change actually has to be the kind of the beginning of it for it to really make a difference like if you i was chatting to one of our senior director and one of our clients that was also a seized purchasing recently and they're talking about the fact that kind of if you went back three five years you'd be in a situation where somebody spoke to you from a kind of business continuity and pricing risk point of view, if somebody said, okay, well, in the next five years, we'll have to deal with energy prices being three to four times their current level, the global pandemic, and we'll have to deal with the fact that we, everybody's balance sheets will be strained and all these, it's just been like, and, and supply chains collapsing globally. And you'd just have laughed them out of the room in terms of the risks that you'd have thought you'd be handling because business continuity and being aware of the kind of risks that and how precious some of the resources we're using are just didn't really feature when it was cheap and reliable Um, and i think you've got to reframe it now that everybody actually understands this resource matters it's a bit like sorry to interrupt you who reframes it is that a ceo's job is that a board level decision or is that actually everyone in the whole i think i think it is a leadership question in any organization so i think every ceo out there should be kind of asking themselves is there a messaging piece here about making sure that everybody understands that whichever lens you look at it short-term cost or long-term decarbonization and net zero the reality is we should be using less of it anyway if we're wasting it why why waste it there was almost a bit of a perception that energy as a as a setup for many businesses kind of in the the latter half of the last decade is almost a, it's not, it, it ain't broke, so don't fix it. Um, and, and, mm. and, and actually it is broken and it <laughs> needs a lot broken. of work. Yeah. 
And I think what, what people really need to do from a considered point of view, clearly there's all the procurement stuff that Daniel's kind of outlined for us, but I think there is a, a bit immediately after that about kind of generation and, and looking at supply of like power purchase agreements are an option for people to give them long-term price stability here. There are obviously various connotations to that for anybody who's not kind of familiar for that. That's signing up for a long-term renewable generation arrangement yeah. with somebody who would install the asset for you and then charge you with a unit rate. Uh, and there is a, like for some organizations that is going to be preferential as an answer. Um, and there are quite a few people exploring that at the moment. I think what you then go go on to is, is, is the kind of, you do genuinely then get to kind of energy conservation, energy saving strategies. And there's so much out there still. Um, it's quite funny, isn't it? That I mean, I'll bring you, bring you back in here, Daniels. I think for both, you know, all of us, this, you know, we've just moved offices to a new office. Part of the reason is this landlord has installed loads of LED lighting. Right, this landlord has double glazing. This landlord has got much more better clue on how to use waste and stuff. And our previous one, frankly, didn't give a damn. Right, however much I I harried and told them because they don't really see it. What you said, Simon, they don't really care about the energy. And you know, the moral arguments, the environmental arguments, have never really washed with certain people. Sadly, that's the case. We know that. So, are we now into a time? And I'll you know we're coming to the end of this podcast. So I do want to ask you both. This is the new normal, as I hate that phrase, but is this is this the reality of where we are now? So I think for me, this, <laughs> I'm going to sound very apocalyptic now, but uh, <laughs> do it, go on. <laughs> I think this is the beginning of the new normal, and I don't. Ooh, that's even worse, Daniel. Yeah, but but I don't necessarily mean in terms of the price that the market yeah. is at for winter twenty two. I mean the volatility. Uh, and uncertainty, the market will look incredibly different by 2025 and even more so by 2030. And I think the winners of that equation will be the ones that arm themselves with information, seek support Mm. where they need it, uh, and are constantly reassessing uh, their their position uh, in terms of the goals they started out with, what the progress has been, uh, and whether they need to revisit those targets, hopefully to be more aggressive, for example, in decarbonisation, and also what the market elements are. And I think also that conscious cultural shift, um, because things like energy caps absolutely needed for the end user, but it'll probably mean that people are using more energy than they should this winter. Um, yes. Because they're paying yes. 35 pence per kilowatt hour instead yeah. of 75 pence per kilowatt hour. And uh, this, is the, this is the duality of this, isn't it? Yeah, It makes course. it more affordable, but then people don't change their behaviour. Yeah, so, uh, but, but we've got yeah. a window for that cultural change because, because it's going to be needed now, two years from now, ten years from now. And I think that's the thing for me is say goodbye to forgetting about your energy contracts and the price will only move one or two pounds or in a mm. bad year 10 pounds a megawatt hour that's not going to be the the conditions i don't think in the short medium term simon i completely agree the future will be volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous and the only solution to it will be a coherent plan put sustainability in the middle of it strong leadership changing cultures and uh, really kind of focusing on making sure that we genuinely understand that we have to manage this as an ongoing agenda. We can't just react to one crisis to the next. We've got to become better at living in an uncertain world. 
Excellent. I'm just about to board my rocket the hell out of here, but powered sustainably, of course. Um, Daniel Simon, thank you so much. I think it's been a great podcast to go through that. If you're interested to find out more, then you can find out more with uh, the Energize website and also Laser Energy. But Daniel Connell, Simon Ellsbury, thanks so much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast this week. And thanks for your uh, real great analysis, guys, on, on a tricky time. But I think we can, we've got to remember we can get through this. Thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure. And yeah, uh, happy to help customers in, in difficult times. Thanks. Uh, it's been good to be able to be part of today. And yeah, I um, hope everybody navigates the challenges ahead. My thanks there to Simon and Daniel and really uh, good stuff. Hopefully it will help you. Next week on the Net Hero podcast, Normal Service is returned and we look at grid we look at the grid but we look at the grid from the point of view of businesses who are trying to be more net zero so as you try and perhaps increase your ev fleet or think about solar panels uh, maybe put some batteries in will the grid be able to cope with you not just consuming energy, but also exporting it. That's something we'll explore next week. My big thanks to all of you for listening. We've hit 13,000 downloads of this podcast, which is incredible in just over a year. We want to hit 20, so keep going. Please look at previous episodes, tell your friends and colleagues about what we're doing and come and join us. Come and talk to me on the Net Hero podcast. Until next week, see you soon. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.